let's go to John chapter 18 this morning. We had spent two weeks looking at Jesus' betrayal and His arrest, and now we're going to watch what I think can only be called as a sham of a trial. I don't know what to call it. It wasn't even really a trial at all because the leadership was all against Jesus. They were corrupt in their plot against Christ. And what's interesting in this account, maybe we'll see next week, is there's a lot of similarities here in what happened in this time and what's happening right now in our country. And so we'll get into that maybe next week. But alongside of this trial, we're watching as Peter is being fully broken. If you recall, the last message I preached was the process of being broken and how Peter had began that process here in chapter 18. And we're going to see the rest of that today, how he has become fully broken. This process has run its course. And Peter had to be broken because he really didn't know himself. Remember that Peter was the one who said to Jesus in chapter 13, verses 37 and 38, I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, 33, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. Even though Jesus foretold of, had just told of Peter's denial, Peter didn't believe that he was capable of this. Peter didn't want to believe that he would be one that would deny his Lord. And so you'll remember at the moment that the mob shows up at the Garden of Gethsemane, it's Peter who takes out the sword and takes a whack at Malchus and cuts off his ear. Proving, trying to prove that, look, I'm serious about this. I'm not going to deny you. I'll go with you to death. He's, he's showing this bravado, if you will, and, and he's, he's looking like he means business. Remember, Peter had zeal but he didn't have knowledge yet. And that's an unstable time in a Christian's life when they have a lot of zeal but no knowledge. And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble real fast if you're not careful by not understanding the things of God uh, before you, you... Actually, what happens is you think you know more than you do. There. I was trying to be way more polite this sermon than I was first service. Um, if you were here first service, it was brutal. So I'm going to try to be more pastorly this one. Just do it? Okay. And so, uh, anyway, my wife, compassionate as ever, uh, praise the Lord. And so, he had this zeal, but he didn't have this knowledge. And I think many times in our zeal, we think we are someone we're not. Because we haven't yet learned who we really are and what we are capable of. We haven't learned the depravity of our flesh. And we have to come to the place where we learn the depth of our sinfulness. Where we learn what our flesh is capable of. The process of being broken is never easy. It's never enjoyable. But it is necessary if God is going to use our life. God wants to break us down in order that He might build us back up and conform us into the image of Christ. And I said last time, you have to learn to give yourself to the process. Don't fight it. Give yourself to it. It's a lifetime thing. This is not a one-step, check a box, and you're now 
conformed. It is a lifetime process. And God is going to continually bring new circumstances, trying circumstances into your life to conform you. And if you don't learn, He's going to make you repeat that grade level before you go on to the next grade. He's always trying to get us to a higher level of understanding Him as we ascend up this mountain. That brings us to our text today. Let's read verses 12 through 27 so we get the whole picture and then we'll go back and just talk about Peter here. The Bible says, Then the band and the captain, the officers of the Jews, took Jesus and bound Him and led Him away to Annas first, for He was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Then the high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, which I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said." When he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art thou not also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Now, I believe it would be beneficial if we had the time to read Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. We'd get all the details of what's taking place here. And I'm going to try to fill you in on some of those as we go. But we see in verse 15 that there were two disciples mentioned which follow after Jesus to watch the events of this night unfold. One, we have the name, is Simon Peter, and the other is an unnamed disciple. And many will quickly make the conjecture that this other disciple was John the Beloved, who is the penman of this account, but I am not sure that's the case here. John does, in the, in the Gospel of John, he does write about himself as that other disciple. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, But that doesn't have to mean that this other disciple here is John. It's true that Peter and John frequented together, but there are a couple things I see wrong with trying to connect John to this account. One thing is this other disciple isn't ever mentioned by the other three gospel writers while Peter is. Peter's mentioned by name. None of the other gospel writers who mention Peter mention this being John. In fact, they don't even really mention uh, much about this. And so that's not really the best argument. Though it would seem if Peter is mentioned in all four, then if John was with him, 
it would stand a reason that he would be named as the other one following Jesus. Second reason, Peter was immediately put under scrutiny here as he's coming into this place. Immediately he's recognized as a Galilean. He's recognized one as had been with Christ. And he's immediately questioned about that. And if this was John, who also was with Jesus, who also was a Galilean, one would think that he also would have been under that same scrutiny. But he's not. He's given a free pass here without harassment. He's able to enter in. And he obviously has, has some sort of position because he's able to talk to the keeper of the door here to allow Peter in. And, um, and, and so number three, this other disciple here was known unto the high priest. And we have nothing recorded for us that would indicate John had a relationship with the high priest, with Caiaphas at this time. And, um, and so I would think it makes far more sense that this other disciple that's with Simon Peter would have been someone like a Nicodemus or someone, I believe personally for what it's worth, I believe this is probably, there's no way to know, this is all just conjecture on my part, but it's probably someone like a Joseph of Arimathea, and that's kind of who I think. Um, makes a lot of sense to me. Joseph was rich. He was a man of influence. He's called an honorable man, a good man, a just man. He was a counselor. He's also said to be a disciple of Jesus. But he was a disciple of Jesus secretly because he feared the Jews, the Bible says. And so he had connections to the council, um, the Sanhedrin, if you will. And he, he said to be one who, over in Luke, Luke records this, that Joseph of Arimathea was one who did not consent unto the deeds of the council concerning Jesus. Meaning this, that Joseph would have been there, but he didn't agree that Jesus needed to be put to death. And so I think this kind of fits together here as we look at these other passages that mention Joseph. And also, it was Joseph of Arimathea who had enough clout in the political system to be able to go before Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus to take it down and go bury it, which he and Nicodemus did. And so this man, whoever this disciple is, he's somebody that had inside connections with the political system there. And then he probably, in that case, would have also known Caiaphas, the high priest. And it was Joseph of Arimathea who was also the one that provided the tomb where Jesus was laid to rest. And so a lot of that makes sense for me. But since the Bible never says, we may never know. History's mysteries. So if you want to study that for yourself, feel free. But that's my take. So here's Peter, and he's following Jesus. And I believe we should at least give credit for Peter being one who came back to see what's happening. As far as we know, none of the other disciples bothered to come back. Uh, remember that it was after Jesus was arrested, the other disciples forsook Jesus and fled. But Peter here comes back, and I, I think we need to give credit to Peter for being brave enough to come back. For certain, Peter loved Jesus, but the emphasis here is going to be how Peter was eventually broken. And I just want to mention some of this because I don't want you to think I'm picking on Peter this morning. But the fact of the matter is it's recorded here in the Bible for our benefit and we need to cover it. And aren't you glad that it's Peter's transgressions and not yours? Amen. Amen. I'm not picking on Peter, but that's just how the account goes here. So the other three accounts, they tell us, here it just says Peter's following Jesus. But the other three say this, Peter followed Jesus afar off. He was keeping his distance from Jesus. And I think we can understand why he is doing this. From a fleshly perspective, would you not agree that if your leader is under arrest, he's about to be crucified, and you're the main mouthpiece of all those 12, 
Would you not think maybe I'm next? Amen. And so Peter, right or wrong, he's following from a distance. I believe he's wrong, but he's following from a distance uh, because he understands that next cross may be for me. So let's just keep in mind how serious this night is. Romans 5, 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. And so it's kind of a big deal when you're at the, the point of having to decide, do I want to die for somebody? Am I willing to lay down my life for this man? Well, it may get interesting here one day. We may have to answer that question front and center. While I'm here, I might as well just tell you, if you came to Christ because somebody told you it was all going to be easy street for the rest of your life, that was a lie. The Christian life isn't easy. Your problems don't magically disappear because you are now born again. And I believe what all of us need to do is we need to learn to start counting the cost of following our Savior. Because nowhere in our Bible are we promised ease of life because we have been born again. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus spoke about how believers would be persecuted for righteousness' sake. He talked about how believers would be reviled. How the world will say all manner of evil against us falsely. Jesus told His followers that they would all be hated by men for Christ's name's sake. Paul said that we must enter into heaven through much tribulation. Paul told Timothy that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Peter talked about the fiery trial which is to try us. He talked about being partakers of Christ's sufferings, being reproached for the name of Christ, suffering as a Christian. Hebrews 13.13 says, Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. Don't ever buy into this prosperity gospel movement idea that says everything's going to be fine now. It's a lie. Yes, God will meet all of your needs. He's promised to do that. He'll, he'll meet your needs in this life, but you can mark it down that the world hates Christians. John the Baptist was beheaded. James was killed with a sword. Stephen was stoned to death. Well, for crying out loud, they nailed Jesus to a cross. John, who wrote this, would later be imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. The other apostles would all be martyred for their faith. One day, Peter is going to be crucified upside down. And there are still countries today which are beheading Christians in 2020. There are still countries today that are imprisoning Christians that are persecuting Christians, that are placing bombs at church buildings, that are killing Christians. We saw it this year in Sri Lanka on Easter. It's happening around the world. It's nothing new. The world has always hated Christians. And we don't know what the future holds here in America. We've already seen this year in America where Christians have been harassed, they have been cited, and they have even been arrested and imprisoned for simply going to church. We need to start counting the cost. We've had it so good in South Dakota. We don't really understand the magnitude of what's happening out in these other places. 
But it may one day come to our door. And we had better decide where we stand. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. I'm afraid in many churches today, people are holding on to this skewed idea that life is now supposed to be free of all problems. God doesn't promise to give us Ease, but He does promise to give us those intangible things that the world cannot provide. The world cannot give you peace and joy. But Christ has promised that for you. We can have those things in Christ. And what this means is, we aren't going to be rescued out of the problems necessarily. But as we go through the problems, we'll have joy and we'll have peace and we'll understand the blessings of God going through those things. Listen, when the rains came and the winds blew and the floods came against the houses there in Matthew, they both experienced the same storm. One was on the sand and one was founded upon the rock, but neither one escaped the storms of life. Well, back to Peter here. He once was following the Lord closely, but now he's following the Lord afar off. And I wonder if that would describe any here today. Perhaps there are those here, you say you know the Lord, you would claim to be a follower of the Lord, but you are really only following the Lord at a distance. Maybe the Lord was worth following just enough to have salvation, but you've yet to see Him worthy of selling out for Him wholeheartedly with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Maybe you're following for now because that's who your parents follow. While you're faithful to church because they're faithful to church, you aren't really following the Lord closely. And I want you to know I'm not doubting Peter's salvation. I'm not doubting your salvation. But are you following the Lord closely this morning? Maybe you used to follow the Lord much more closely. But recently you have found that following the Lord will cost you more than you ever imagined. And now you find yourself falling back. Well, as we'll see with Peter, when you begin to withdraw even just a little, it's going to lead to even more backsliding. Because with God, there is no neutral ground. Everybody hear what I just said? You're either going forward or you're going backwards. There's no neutrality. We get some extra details here in verse 16 that the other gospel penmen don't record. It says, But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. We see that Peter had to be allowed to come in. He's standing without. This other disciple goes out to him, and he then speaks to this woman who keeps the door. She's called a damsel here in verse 17. She's also called in other accounts uh, a maid of the high priest, which simply means this, she was a slave. She was a bond servant. And this other disciple gets the keeper of the door here to allow Peter to be brought in. And Matthew tells us the reason why was so Peter could see the end. At first, Peter wanted to watch this trial. Perhaps this other disciple thought Peter could have been a help during this whole thing. Because we see in verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus said, why don't you ask them? But none of them were there. 
Who knows? But this guy, he tries to get Peter to come in. And as he's, he's entering in here, we see in verse 17, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. Isn't it interesting here that a slave woman is able to identify Peter? We say it often because it is true, but you never know who's watching you. You never know who's taking note of your life. And I think people are always watching because they've heard so many things about Christianity. They've heard so many opinions about Christians. And we group so many false religions under the banner of Christianity. What is true Christianity anymore? And people are just naturally curious, I think, when it comes to all of this. This woman had been observant enough to say of Peter, Are not thou also one of this man's disciples? And in the other gospel accounts, she makes the assertion that Peter had been with Jesus. And I don't think she's saying this to compliment Peter, saying, good job, Peter. But I think she's doing this to say, here's another one that needs to be arrested. This is another one that needs to be condemned. But of course, Peter denies her statement of being one of Jesus' disciples by saying, I am not. In Matthew, it says, Peter denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. In Luke twenty two fifty seven, Peter denied Jesus by saying, Woman, I know him not. And in Mark, he said, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And then he goes out to this area called the porch. And we don't have it recorded here in John, but we do in Mark. When he denied Christ the first time, you could hear a rooster crowing. Remember, the rooster would crow twice, would not crow twice until Peter denied Jesus thrice. So Peter, he denies Christ, and if you can picture what's happening here, he's brought to the door, probably came in, she recognizes him, says something to him, he denies before them all, I don't know him. He then backs out, he's at the porch, and the scene will shift there, where there's a fire, where he can warm himself because of the cold of the night. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but see some symbolism in all of this with Peter who's now standing by the fire. And I believe we see symbolically someone can be cold but still be close to the fire. I'll leave that for another time. I don't want to over-spiritualize that this morning but you can ponder that for yourself. We find in verses 19 through 24, the scene shifts back inside the courtroom, which is taking, or this, this room, which is taking place between the high priest and Jesus. We're going to set that aside for this morning. We'll pick back up in verse 25 with Peter, where it says, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. As Peter's by the fire, we see here, having already denied Christ once, he now denies him two more times. And wouldn't you know it, in verse 26, out of all the people to identify him, it's a relative of Malchus. Oh, wait a minute, Peter. I was there and I saw you cut off my relative's ear. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Now, I'd probably say that at that point as well. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I just, it's humorous to me that of all the people, this guy's here, and he says, no, 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 I, I know who you are. You cut, off, you cut off my brother's ear or whatever he was in, in, in relation to him. Well, anyway, Peter, he just keeps denying the Lord here. He denies ever knowing the Lord. Are you catching this? Peter, I know him not. And it got so bad in Matthew's account that by the time he gets to the third denial, the Bible says that Peter began to curse and to swear, saying, I don't know him. He's wanting it on record. I don't know this man. I have no relationship with him. And get that picture in your mind. This is the man who three and a half years earlier forsook everything when Jesus came up to him and said, follow me. He gave, up, he gave it all up. And he follows Christ for three and a half years. This was the man who was in the inner circle of the twelve. Out of the twelve, Jesus often went to the three, Peter, James, and John. Pulled them aside. Had them up at the mountain of transfiguration. All these things. And yet, here's Peter and he's denying Christ. He's denying he was ever a disciple of Christ. Jesus asked His disciples in Matthew 16, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And don't you remember it was Peter who spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus asked His disciples in John chapter 6, Will ye also go away? It was Peter who spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It was Peter who on the boat that day during the storm looked out and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come unto Thee under the water. And it was Peter who stepped out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But again, Peter's problem is he doesn't know himself. Jesus said in Mark 14, 27 through 31, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before unto you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But then Peter, it says, he spake the more vehemently. And he said, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any way. Likewise, also said they all. You see, Peter, listen now, get this. Peter thought he knew himself better than the Lord knew him. Yeah, that's almost a laughing statement, isn't it? He thinks he knows himself better than the Lord knows him. I want to tell you, nobody knows you like the Lord knows you. Not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, not your parents. The Lord knows you. Jesus gave the prophecy of Peter's denial, but Peter refused to believe that he was capable of denying his Lord. And sure enough, when Peter denied the Lord the third time, the rooster crowed. I'm going to have to go a little bit longer today, so bear with me. Where did things go wrong for Peter? What led to this point of denial? Well, we could probably do a lot of things, but one thing for sure that we can go back to and we can say, 
it started to go wrong for Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Shortly before Jesus' betrayal in the garden, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him to pray. He said, watch. Watch with Me. Jesus goes a short distance away and He kneels and He prays to the Father and He comes back to the three and what does He find? He finds them all asleep. And in Matthew 26, 40 and 41, Jesus, He goes to His disciples and He wakes them up and He says, what? Could you not watch with Me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus, He goes back to pray again. And He comes back and guess what? They're asleep again. He doesn't say anything to them. He goes back and He prays again. And when He comes back the third time, He tells them, sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And it's interesting to me that Jesus at that moment, He singles out Peter. He didn't single out James. He didn't single out John. All three were sleeping. But I believe what you need to know is, before Jesus said, watch and pray, Jesus had told Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Peter was told, listen, Peter was told that Satan was after him. Jesus had said this to Peter. And so Jesus says, you need to watch and pray. But Peter failed. And again, no, I'm not coming down on Peter. But it's here for our admonition. Had Peter truly known who he was at this point, he would have watched and he would have prayed. But we get so cocky. We get so confident. We get so complacent. We think we have everything figured out in the Christian life. What happens is we stop watching like we should and we stop praying as we should. And then the circumstance comes. We're not ready. And we backslide. Peter was not heeding the warnings. And because he was not watching and praying, he ends up denying his Lord three times in a row. Now, I don't know if you've ever denied Christ before to somebody. I can tell you something I'm very ashamed of. When we were stationed in Virginia, I worked with a man named uh, Charles Streamer. And uh, he would come up to work, and his wife, I was training him, and Adrian would come up. We'd play PlayStation at night when we should have been working. And uh, PlayStation. Okay. And I remember I said something to him one time, and he said this I didn't know you were a Christian. It hurts when we fail. But God has a way of taking those failures, and I don't understand it all, but. He uses them for our good. He works in us through our failures. And upon hearing this rooster crow the second time, Peter was finally broken. John doesn't record it, but in the other gospel accounts, we learn that Peter began to weep 
when he heard the rooster crow. Matthew says, and immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered. He remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Mark records, and the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he thought thereon, and he wept. Luke records, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. You got that in your head? Here's Peter, he's at the door, he gets in, he backs out, he's by the fire, he's warming himself, he denies twice, and somehow there was line of sight, I don't understand it all, but Jesus turns and he looks at Peter when the rooster crowed the second time. And you've got to know that broke his heart. And the Bible says, The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And all three of those accounts record for us how that when the rooster crowed, Peter remembered. He thought about what Jesus had said earlier concerning Peter denying him. And as we think of the process of being completely broken, it must go through the Word of God. We must see ourselves as God sees us and not as somebody else sees us. Your mom's always going to think you're great. If my mom was here, she'd tell you how great I am. It's not, it doesn't matter how mom sees me. Come on now. It doesn't matter how dad sees me. It doesn't matter how Pastor William sees me. None of those things. How does God see me? I don't need somebody else's opinion. And he remembered. And he remembered the Word of God from the Word of God Himself. And I want you to know I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be ugly. But Peter here, he did not need a worldly counselor. He did not need a psychologist. He didn't need some treatment center. Hey, hey man. But what he needed was to get alone with God and get his heart right. Well, you don't understand. Daddy whipped me too much and Mama didn't hug me enough. No, your problem is you're wicked. Amen. Look, I ain't been here to preach, so it's all built up. Amen. The problem is we've got to get our hearts right with God. We've got to be broken down. And I say all of this because people don't want the truth when it comes to their sinful condition. They want somebody who's educated to give them some reasons and some excuses for why they do what they do. No offense, but no drunkards ever come to me and said, somebody put a bottle in my hand and forced it to my mouth. Nobody hooked on pornography has ever come to me and said, somebody logged on and made me watch. Amen! Listen, the drug addict can't blame anybody but himself. And we live in a day where everybody wants the excuse. And Peter could have come up with something. But under that kind of, that, that kind of weight of the moment of failing his Lord, he runs out of there and he weeps bitterly. Peter's broken. And you know what people's problems are today? They're not broken. They're not broken. And of course, this is why many are not drawn to a church like ours to begin with. 
People don't want to hear that you're the problem. Especially those who are affluent. Well, I wouldn't be the uh, head doctor in this hospital if I wasn't the man. Sorry, you're a wicked sinner before God. There's one excuse. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. And if you have a Savior, you need to get right with God. You see, many people would rather come into a church house and watch a feel-good concert and then listen to a so-called preacher give them some psychobabble sermonette where if they only think better, they'll do better. It'll never work that way. you got to be fully broken. You must realize that you're the reason that you don't see victory. You're the reason you're addicted. You're the reason you're miserable in life. And it's because you have yet to be broken. Stop thinking you're someone you're not. Don't buy into this idea which says, well, I'm really not that bad. No, no, you are that bad. Listen, if there's one thing we can draw out of this whole message today, it's this, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Don't get so puffed up with pride that you think you have everything figured out and that you're somehow better than this person over here. You're not better than anybody else. If it weren't for the grace of God, you'd be in the same position. Listen, you won't be on the path to victory until you recognize there's nothing good about you and your flesh. And that Jesus is the only answer. Well, let's end on a good note. There is good news in being fully broken. Seasons of being broken are typically followed by seasons of victory. Peter went out and he wept bitterly in his brokenness because he had finally learned who he was in Christ. And he learned that Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. This is remarkable to me. I preached this a few Easter's ago, but on Resurrection Day, the women, they come to the tomb where Jesus had been laid to, to rest and they are going to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they're walking there, they wonder to themselves, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Ha, they get there, the stone's already rolled away. Jesus had already risen. There's an angel there and the angel says, be not afraid, uh, but Jesus has risen again. And then he said, out of all the disciples, he says, go tell Peter. You see, when we are broken, the Lord is there to comfort us. I know it, it was painful for Peter to go through the process of being fully broken. But the Lord knew out of all the disciples that Peter specifically needed to know that he had risen again. Jesus wanted Peter comforted after failing and denying his Lord. Jesus knew that Peter still loved him. Yeah, he sinned, he made a mistake, he, he shouldn't have denied his Lord, but Jesus knew that he still loved him. Jesus knew his heart. Peter, uh, Jesus knew that Peter needed encouragement. And yes, being broken down will be painful, but I want to assure you that Jesus is there on the other side waiting to take you into His embrace and comfort you once again. Amen. He wants you to continue on. And listen to me, you're going to have failures in your Christian life. None of us are perfect. If you knew who I really was, you wouldn't want me up here. Amen. We all have failures. We all have problems. We all go through circumstances. And it's going to be painful. But it doesn't mean that that's the end of the line for you. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. When you fail, I want to tell you this morning, get back up. God's not done with you. 
He will use your failure for your good in conforming you to Christ. And then He wants to use your life for His glory. Just think about this. It was Peter who the Lord used on the day of Pentecost to see 3,000 men saved. How's that for a day's work? It was Peter who looked upon the crippled beggar and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man leaped up. Peter had earlier backed away from the presence of the council. Here in John chapter 18, he had been afraid of them. But it would be Peter in the book of Acts of chapter 4 who would boldly stand before this same council. He would preach Christ and he would tell them, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name given given under heaven among men whereby ye must be saved. The transformation that he went through after he had been broken. It was Peter who would stand before the council again. They commanded him that you better not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And he would look them in the eye and he would say, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And time won't allow it, but we could keep going on and on talking about what all Peter did after he was broken for the cause of Christ. He even wrote two books in our New Testament, First and Second Peter. And who better to pen these words? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Can't you almost sense that that was penned with that night in remembrance? And I submit to you this morning that none of that would have been possible had Peter not been fully broken and then built back up by his Lord. Do you want God to use your life? I mean, do you really? You've got to be broken. You've got to be humbled. You've got to come to see who you really are in the light of God's Word. If you're not saved, the first step in being broken is being broken enough to admit you need a Savior. If you are saved, then allow the process of being broken to continue in your life. I love this quote. F.B. Meyer said, The tree which bears the most fruit bows the lowest to the ground. Are you broken? Are you humbled? Let's pray.